It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. It's been a sad week for snooker. The verdicts are in following the sport's biggest ever match-fixing scandal and all 10 players involved have been banned, two of them for life. The overriding feeling for those of us who love this game, Phil, is one of significant regret and great disappointment and all of us in recent days have been doing an awful lot of reflecting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sadness is 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 a big one for everyone, I think. And um, anger as well. I think that's been a, a lot, um, a strong feeling, just angry with these guys there for sort of dragging the sport through the mud they have uh, in the way they have done. Um, and yeah, lots of thoughts about what's come out of this report. You know, it's a big, long uh, 58 pages. Uh, I'm sure not everyone has read it, but it is worth reading. There's lots going on in there. Um, and, yeah, thoughts on, you know, lifetime bans. They don't get any stronger than that. It's, it's as heavy as a punishment can come. But it goes all the way down to a year and eight months was, uh, was the shortest. So I guess we there's been a lot of thoughts about what was appropriate, what could have been more, what maybe could have been less. But um, plenty to think about over the last week, definitely. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I mean, if you read the whole report, the conclusion you come to, de- definitely sadness, and, and we've got some very good correspondence in later, and one of them, I think, is titled and begins with that word. And I think that's mm. the overriding feeling. Yes, there's anger. Yes, there's disappointment. But I think an element of sadness, because this sport has been so tainted and shamefully so, really, by, by what we've seen, no doubt. But the overriding feeling, I think, as well, when you look at that report, is what a mess I mean, I, I, I've taken a, a couple of passages from it for, for later and, and just it's just so messy and involves so many different people, but perhaps more than certainly I, I thought it would in terms of, you know, not just the players involved, but the various hangers on, friends, you know, unnamed friends. You know, this is something that was so widespread among a group of people over well, mainly over that year year period, should we say, but going back before as well, as we'll find out, you know, 
a long time before in terms of some fixing that went on. So, you know, the thing to say is it's very bad behaviour from these players. It's cheating, isn't it? Let, let, let's, let's call it that. It's cheating us, the, you know, snooker fans, snooker journalists, snooker officials, other players. You know, match fixing is a good all-encompassing, you know, phrase, but, you know, it is also just cheating. And, and that's the worst thing you can say about anyone in sport, really. Um, yeah, I mean, you mentioned it there. Lifetime bans for two players, Liang Wenbo and Lee Hang. And it's a surprise, isn't it? I, I spoke to you before we went off on Airville and we were sort of saying, you know, the mood music, the, the noise was, oh, no, I don't think that's possible. We don't think that's possible for legal reasons. It can be challenged too easily. It can be changed too easily. We'll try and avoid that. But, of course, that hasn't happened. And as as the report says in some detail, the two players involved, Liang Wenbo and Li Hang, were almost the ringmasters here, the ringleaders. They were the ones, weren't they, that, and we'll go through the Pacific charges in a moment, but they're the ones that, you know, ha- have a certain advanced age compared to the others. Not a saying father figure, but maybe uncle figure type thing with some of them. And then, but then it gets nuanced with some others. There was a threatening element mm. that they were kind of, you know, particularly in the case of Liang Wenbo, quite bullying, actually. That's what comes over. And that's a strong word, but that's what comes over. That, you know, that's me saying that, that there's an element of that. Um, we, we, they use the word threatening in the report. I mean, this is pretty nasty stuff, isn't it? And, you know, you, you off, I think you're often wary of calling out other, other, you know, other humans because we all have our sins and our faults. But Liang Wenbo, you've got to say, is a pretty nasty character, actually odious character, really. Um, when you think about, you know, his behaviour, uh, you know, in a number of matters now. So Liang Wenbo, Li Hang, banned for life. We'll go through the Pacific charges in a moment, but feel that that's very strong. It doesn't happen very often in sport. Just thinking about, you know, athletics and how many athletes, for example, have been banned for drugs. You know, it's nothing like Lifetime. It mm. could be. It could be. Many fans of that sport and sports fans in general think it should be. But it's nothing like that. So to be banned for life, let's be clear, never involve this snooker again is a massive deal. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right to say it was a surprise because we were sort of told it wasn't just sort of mood music. It was specifically told this is extremely unlikely to happen. You know, that was because, um, you know, Sean Murphy came out quite strongly when the investigation started just saying anyone who has fixed matches should be should be banned for life. And then I asked Jason Ferguson about that and he said, well, that's almost almost impossible to do, really. Um, so then to see two was was a big surprise. But I guess that is, as, as you explained it, them being the ringmasters, it wasn't because they'd gone out and fixed so many matches um, themselves while they were playing. You know, that I think the thought was the vast majority of all these problems wouldn't have happened without them. Um, so the the message had to be sent that uh, if, if you're going to be organising this in any way, then you're gone forever. And it was good. You know, I, th- I don't think anyone has been disappointed to see those. I don't, I've not seen anyone um, suggesting that they, these guys should have a future in the game. So I think it has been a, a popular move um, by the commission. Um, and as you say, there's there's a there's a n- number of words used, isn't it? And some sort of varying tone, you know, like induced and enticed to, to do things. Don't sound 
that bad, you know, just sort of waving some cash in front of people. Um, but there are some more sort of darker elements to it, aren't there? And there's there's certainly the impression that uh, some of these guys didn't feel like they had much of a choice but to do it, um, which is really grim stuff. And as you say, um, Liang Wenpo is... Uh, is real sort of the chief villain amongst this, not just for this case, but you know the the conviction for assaulting a woman last um, was it two years ago now? Um, yeah, it was. Um, and no one's disappointed to see him get a lifetime ban. I think that's fair to say. Um, and I'm not sure why. I'm not sure how confident you know they can appeal that. Um, they've still got a few days left to do that. I think um, Liang just didn't interact with the process at all, um, by all accounts. So. I think they're pretty confident that appeal's not coming. That's why they were sort of happier to go f- for the whole hog on these bands. But, um, yeah, uh, I think, as I said, it's extreme, isn't it? It's as extreme as it gets, a lifetime ban, but no one's disappointed to see it. No, I, I would say that's a fair way of, of, of summing it up and certainly a fair way of reflecting the reaction that's coming from, you know, the whole snooker community and indeed the wider sporting community on that one. Well, we should say that the independent inquiry chaired by Ian Mill QC has, a, of course, published its findings in, in some detail, some really significant detail, actually. And Liang Wenbo um, was found to be in breach of the conduct regulations as follows. Uh, that he fixed or was a party to fix five snooker matches between the 24th of July and the 28th of September 2022. And these are the words that you've mentioned and alluded to there and some of them anyway that he solicited induced enticed persuaded encouraged or facilitated other players to fix nine matches between the 24th of july and the 13th of december that between the 1st of september 2019 and the 31st of december 2022 he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules and that he behaved in conduct that was corrupt by threatening another player. That was player was champing you, wasn't it? And making him delete his messages on his phone. He threatened another player to seek to persuade him not to assist the WPBSA inquiry. That's important to say, as you say, he didn't show up. But he also tried to get people involved to not give evidence themselves. Indeed, mm-hmm. delete evidence. And that, that is as deep and as as dreadful as this is, really. It goes on that Liang Wenbo, on or after the 1st of September 2022, when aware of the WPBSA inquiry, covered up or attempted to cover up his involvement in match fixing by deleting messages on his mobile phone and by requesting that other players, and this was Barry Landing and Champing Yu, deleted messages on their phones, and that he failed to cooperate with the WPBSA inquiry by failing to attend interviews and provide material requested by the WPBSA inquiry. These are the key quotes here. We regard the conduct of Liang as particularly disgraceful. The pressure placed by him, a senior professional, on a large number of Chinese players, many of them young and impressionable. The threatening behaviour he displayed towards Chang and his failure to cooperate with the WPBSA inquiry clearly warrant and justify a sanction being imposed of the highest order. Liang Wenbo has been given a lifetime ban from snooker and is to pay £43,000 in costs. Go through Lee Hang as well. Lee Hang has been found to be in breach of the conduct regulations as follows, that he fixed or was a party to fix five matches between 24th of July and 29th of September 2022, that he solicited, induced, enticed, persuaded, encouraged 
or facilitated players to fix seven matches between the 24th of July and the 13th of December 2022. The between 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules that he, on or after the 1st of September 2022, when aware of the WPBSA inquiry, covered up or attempted to cover up his involvement in match fixing by deleting messages on his mobile phone and by requesting that other players deleted messages on their phones. The quotes here, like in the case of Liang, we regard the conduct of Lee as utterly unacceptable. He used his influence as an older and established player to befriend younger, impressionable Chinese players who were far from home and thereby encouraged and enticed them into match fixing for his own financial ends. Li Hang has been given a lifetime ban from snooker and is to pay £43,000 in costs. It's very important to say, Phil, that everybody here is guilty of very different things. And these are, by probably some distance, the two worst cases. We, 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 we just heard it there laid out. You know, it's, it's particularly threatening behaviour in the case of Liang Rainbow, but it's fixing or being a party to fix matches, uh, trying to get other players to do so, you know, not bring any help at all to the inquiry and try, in fact, trying to hinder it. I mean, these are, it's just a, a litany of offences, actually. And as we say already, Phil, it couldn't be stronger message, could it? It's come as a surprise. And we'll go through some of the other uh, players and none of them have behaved well. So we talk about greater and lesser, you know, it's very much, you know, up to who's thinking about it, really. We talk about greater or lesser. They're all bad, but these are, by distance, the two worst offenders. That's come through, hasn't it, when you read this report and read the details time and time again? Yeah, well, as I say, I think I think the feeling was that um, all these other people get, being found guilty wouldn't have even been involved um, if it hadn't been for these two who've got lifetime bans. Um, now we can't say if that's true. You know, we're just sort of predicting um, things that we don't know. But that—that's the feeling, um, and that's why they've been punished so strongly. And that's—that's that's been the difference between sort of uh, inducing others to fix matches. Because actually, Lu Ning, who might be the next one we talk about, I feel like he's the only one that sort of tried to plead not guilty to certain charges because he was—he—he he was sort of originally bracketed with those two, but he was found not to not guilty to have been inducing others to fix matches. Um, and his ultimate ban in the end was five years, four months. So compare that to a lifetime ban. That's that's the difference we're talking about between doing some fixing and being the masterminds behind doing all the fixing. Um, so, yeah, it's a serious, it's a serious gap. Um, and, you know, the organisers behind it, um, the people threatening and enticing and inducing and all that stuff. Um, I've, I've got the most serious, serious punishment, and quite rightly. Um, and yeah, there does seem to my mind like a slight difference between Liang. Liang was certainly, um, the, from reading the report, seemed to be the one going to people and pressurising more than Lee, who there was a really interesting sentence about him, which was quite worrying in a way. I've got it here. It said Lee was a good poker player. I mean, I'm not sure why that got into the report. It seems like an odd little detail. Lee was a good poker player and had a betting account, which he used to help the younger players to place bets, including on snooker games. It was widely known by the Chinese snooker players that they could go to Lee 
if they wish to place a bet on a snooker match or to get involved with match fixing. So, I mean, that was that was an odd one. I mean, it was widely known that people could go to someone if you wanted to fix a match. So that's different from someone coming to you and in, and enticing or threatening, isn't it? And uh, yeah, that that line sort of worried me as well because widely known amongst Chinese snooker players, you know, is that can that just be the ten people involved here? Is that, that must be other players that they know and practice with and live with and spend time with. Um, so yeah, that that was a concern, but. Um, yeah, widely known is a, is, a, is a worrying phrase there. But yeah, it's the, those two rightly got the worst punishments. Yeah, I, I think I took that poker player line as. I mean, it's it's not it's not my it's not my business the world of gambling actually. So I, I often rely on others to, to fill in the actual nuance involved. But you know, I obviously understand that you know if you play poker, you're heavily involved in the gambling world generally. That you know that that's what I took from that that. That you know, this is a sort of deep thing. As you say, you know, it, it, it was well known that players could place bets through him. So, you know, it, the, the old ringmaster ringleader thing comes back time and time again. They were they were the ones that w- were kind of most responsible for the wrongdoing, really, uh, and that and that's why we you know we have seen a, a whole list, well, t- obviously involving ten. Te, you know, ten different punishments, and that's right. Actually, you know, I think it's right to get different punishments for different offences. And as you mentioned, Lu Ning, he was found, as you say, not to have been been involved in inducing others to fix matches, but he did accept the following. In the 2014-15 season, he fixed three snooker matches that he played in, but on the 23rd of July 2022, he fixed one snooker match that he played in. That between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules. And that on or after the 1st of September 2022, when aware of the WPBSA inquiry, covered up or attempted to cover up his involvement in match fixing by deleting messages on his mobile phone. Luning has been given an eight-year suspension, reduced following early admissions and his plea of guilty to five years and four months until the 6th of April 2028. He is to pay 7,500 in costs. Maybe now we'll move on to something that you've already expressed very well, actually, in in, in print, in copy on, on the Metro website. You're not convinced, are you, that some of these sentences are, are long enough? I tend to share your view. I'll let you talk about it first. It's, you know, it's, you, you've made the case very well. Um, maybe I'll, I'll ask you about that now and then move on to the, maybe the two most, well, high profile in terms of probably the best, quotes, unquote, players, Yan Bingtao and Xiao Zintong are very different cases. But in terms of Lu Ning, I mean, it, it's five years and four months. I mean, it's a significant time in a, in a snooker player's career. Of course it is, but at the same time, is it enough of a deterrent to stop other people doing it? Uh, I think the fact that the jury's very much out on that, Phil, isn't it? And uh, as I say, you've already said that you don't think it's, it's quite long enough. My instinct straight away was, wouldn't mind seeing an extra year or two on these. And maybe you, you, can, you can have your say on that now. And I know you, you've got a view perhaps on the, on, the, uh, on the parts of the senses that have been reduced. 
and maybe you think that they should have stuck to the original sort of number of of years, as it were. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I haven't got a problem with the sort of reduction for early guilty plea because that just, you know, that's just sort of used in law and, and these kind of things a lot. But maybe, yeah, maybe the original sentence should be longer to reduce to what the maximum sentence was here, if you see what I mean. So lose was eight years or something. That felt more right to me than the five years, four months that he ended up getting. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, we're sort of haggling over numbers here. So it is sort of... Um, is it's personal thing really, you know. I did that piece with Sean Murphy, and he's he's stuck to what he was saying from the start that he thinks that everyone, regardless of coercion or anything, anyone who's fixed a match should be banned for life. And you know that's a legitimate opinion. That's that's the extreme end of the scale. Um, I wouldn't go quite that far, but yeah, I, I do think they could be could be longer because it's an interesting one with the sort of admission of guilt and stuff that Lou got some time off his sentence, but then he was also found to have covered up or attempted to cover up his involvement in match fixing by deleting messages on his mobile phone. So that doesn't really sound like the most ex- <laughs> the most uh, uh, helpful of admission of early guilt, does it, at all? Um, and, you know, his involvement goes all the way back to the 2014-15 season. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there is a feeling, and obviously you can only go on what was found in, in, in this inquiry, um, but there is this sort of underlying feeling that could we possibly have found every evidence of ma- every incident of match fixing that's gone on over all these years? You know, probably not, almost certainly not. And obviously, you can't punish people for things that you don't know about. But um, it is worrying how long, so, how long ago some of these offences took place, and how much, how much more could be going on that we didn't know about. But um, yeah, I think you know, Lou is twenty nine, so his career could uh, foreseeably. Uh, get going again in his sort of mid to late thirties, um, you know, and that's the point of a ban. You know, I guess it is a ban. It's not a lifetime ban. Like that's that's the point that they can come back. But I think there would be sort of huge resentment um, from players and fans towards them, um, and that'll probably that's going to be more in the case, I guess, of the guys that we're going to talk about now. When Yambing Tao. Um, it's probably that this that situation is going to apply to him most because he's one of the best players here. He's been charged with a very serious charge, found guilty of it, um, and he could well be back um, before his thirtieth birthday, which is going to ruffle some feathers if that's if that's what comes to pass. Yeah, I mean, he'll have time to be a great at the game, won't he? He'll have time to be world champion and plenty of time. I and mean, he could have two decades. These guys now going on to, you know, these these greats that we're seeing at the moment, we know so well, going on not just into their 40s, their late 40s, threatening to go into their 50s. So, yeah, very much so. He's still very young, uh, Yan Bing Tao. And, and, you know, and, well, the the, the really... Well, there's many striking things. One of the striking things was that Yam was just 16 when he fixed a match he played in on the 29th of August, 2016. And then it goes on here to say that Yam Bintao between 3rd of March, 2022 and 29th of September, 2022, fixed three snooker matches that he played in. That between the 1st of September, 2019... And the 31st of December 2022, he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules. And uh, Yan Bintao then was given a seven-year and six-months suspension, reduced following early admissions and plea of guilty to five years. 
until the 11th of December 2027. He used to pay 7500 in costs. So realistically, that's sort of obviously halfway during the, that, that season. So we'll be back in 2028, five years. I mean, again, it's, it's significant. It, you know, five years in a snooker career, even though they're long, it's significant. And you are right to say that, it, you know, it's commonplace in law, of course, for trying to be taken off for early admissions. But it's a lot off, isn't it? Seven years and six months to five years. Mm. And I'm, you know, no great mathematician, but that's a third off. And that, you know, does that early admission and plea of guilty, you know, quite equate to that much off when you consider how, ba- how bad his behaviour was and how bad the offences are? Again, you know, you're right, we can quibble over numbers. My instinct are, you know, has been from the start, what you've very, you know, eloquently put in recent days. It, it doesn't feel quite enough for some of these players, to be honest. But we will come on to a very important point. The WPBSA would agree with that view and did push, didn't they, for longer sentences generally. The commission generally re- rejected that on the grounds that this was not maybe quite used the word one-off, but these were particularly, I suppose, extenuating circumstances with the players being cooped up, a lot of them in COVID, of course, when, you know, we know that people couldn't go out as they wanted to. Um, people had to stick in their groups. So it was these Chinese players in, you know, the academies and the ones that lived together that they, you know, were even more in each other's pockets. And that's not an excuse, but... They are extenuating circumstances, if you like. So, yeah, they're not excuse, but you, you you look for reasons, don't you? You look for underlying reasons, and that's what they've done. But Yan Bing Tao, no, very much so. I mean, he can still be a top, top player when he comes back. He's won the Masters. And, of course, it comes back to that sadness thing. He's a brilliant player, Yan Bing Tao. Is it the buzz of doing it? Is it just the, a, bit, a bit of a thrill, a bit of extra money? We were saying before, you know... Off airfield, I'd be surprised at this, you know, maybe naively that the summers haven't been greater involved. I mean, these guys are uh, are getting so rich in the case of someone like Yan Bin Tao, and they're kind of not throwing it all away, but throwing a lot of it away for I don't want to say pocket money, but it's hardly you know absolute riches. Is it? This is what I can't get over. You know, if they were getting a sort of a, a hundred grand a match, you know, you, it'd still be dreadful behaviour, but you just start seeing that old sort of greed taking over and the temptation. But for this sort of money, it's just particularly sad, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I think that's what makes the sort of coercion and how they feel like they had to do it a lot more believable because otherwise it doesn't make any sense at all for someone like Jan, who won quarter of a million quid for winning the Masters. And I looked at some of the games involved. You know, he lost to Oli Lines in the Turkish Masters last 16. Um and if he'd have won that game, um, getting to the quarterfinals of that was 12 and a half grand, which I think was more than the sort of figures they were talking about they would be making from the match fixing. Um, the other, another one was Jordan Brown in the British Open um, in the in the last 32. But if he'd have won that, eight grand for the last 16. So that's the sort of figures they were talking about, six grand, eight grand, that people were making out of these, throwing these matches. So it doesn't even appear that he's sort of doing it for much financial gain at all which obviously makes you think that, you know, he felt like he had to, he was doing it because the other guys were betting on it and sort of pressuring him to do it. So there is some some sympathy there, you know, not loads because it's awful, but 
especially if the fact you know there's no way that one he was did when he was 16 that he just came up with that that sure and if you know these guys have sort of got the claws into him at that age then you know he's growing up in that situation and uh yeah so that that's why these guys aren't getting lifetime bans because um you can see why they've been made to do it or certainly feel like they've been made to do it no one no one's out there with a cue in the hand other than them so they don't have to but they certainly feel like they have to, it seems anyway, because as you say, the finances of it just don't make any sense at all. Um, and it is, it, well, actually, I mean, they don't make any sense at all for someone like Jan, but some of the other uh, examples, actually, they do. Um, I think there were a couple, one was, um, I forget who it was now, I think it was Chang, they, they said specifically he had less than 100 quid in his bank, but I was in 15 grand of debt. So in those situations, again, like you said, nothing is nothing's an excuse, but you can see, you can understand it more. Um, but yeah, Jan's situation is is confusing for sure. Yeah, and it comes back to the nuance thing again, doesn't it? Every case is so different, as you say. You know, some players really, really struggling for money, but people like Jan being town. I mean, goodness me, you know, he's. Um, He's doing very, very well out of snooker, and it's you know it's such a particular shame. I think when you do see the, the money involved, and as you say, that, that does suggest that that the, the, the coercion, as, as we've seen, the thread running through this was such a you know important part of of what we've seen in this sort of whole messy process. Well, Xiaoxing Tong is a particularly interesting you know player involved in all of this. Um, the, the commission found that on the third of March. And 11th of March 2022, he was a party to another player fixing two snooker matches that between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules. Now, it says here, Xiaoxing Tong, among the players, was alone in that he did not himself fix any match. His involvement was limited to placing bets for Yan through Lee whereby he became liable as the party to the two match fixes. He is good friends with Jan. In fact, we know they're massive friends. They've known each other since the age of 16. He attempted to dissuade Jan from match fixing on both occasions with no success. He felt he had no other option but to place the bets for Jan as Jan had requested. He has shown genuine remorse for his actions. Uh, The WPSA submitted the involvement of Xiaoxing Tong was significant and serious because without it, Yan would not have proceeded with the fixes. We do not consider that the WPBSA has established this on the facts and accordingly reject that submission. So they're saying that actually they, they can't find proof that Yan wouldn't have done it without that. He may well have done. They, they can't quite prove that. That's something is important. Xiaoxing Tong has been given a two-year and six-month suspension reduced following early admissions and his plea of guilty to one year and eight months until the 1st of September 2024. He is to pay 7500 in costs. So really, 2025, that's not much time, is it, really? Um, OK, his offences were, were, were the, the lesser, again, that word lesser, uh, of, the, of the 10. Um, and... You know, I think we, you know, I wouldn't claim to know Zhao Zingtong at all, but, you know, in any great depth, but I've seen him around for, for, for quite a long time now. Uh, he always seems to be a 
very, very pleasant, a decent person. So, you know, I think you mentioned in your piece that it, you can have sympathy for him, maybe more than some of the others, but it's still no excuse. And, you know, he felt he had no other option. It's nonsense, isn't it? That, that you know, ha, ha, however, quotes, unquote, uncomfortable the situation was, or I'm not saying specifically this example, but how maybe quotes, unquote, threatening the whole overtones were in this episode. There are loads of other options uh, to take rather than put bets on for matches you know are going to be fixed. I mean, that is bad behaviour. There's no getting away from it. Was Xiaoxing Tong's ban long enough? Again, my instinct is not really, not quite, but it is a lesser offence. So we can see why it is the lesser punishment. I think, yeah, listen, I know what Sean Murphy's saying, and I've been thinking actually in, in the last couple of days, very easy to be maybe pious from my or our position, not players, not having to face these guys, not having to sit in a chair opposite them, not having to watch as they make big breaks to beat you maybe in the future. You know, I can see why it's more gutturable, certainly the instinct of some of the players. I can see why it's more emotional maybe, um, and that's fine. You know, again, it's easy for me to sit here. I don't have to face them. But I think, you know, if I'm honest, you know, it's right that players have been given different punishments. That's the appropriate, you know, outcome. But it's it's not a long time, is it? Shouting Tom, potentially back in 25, that will go in the blink of an eye, Phil. Yeah, and um, again, we're sort of haggling over just uh, months or years or anything. But yeah, I think the third back on would have been more appropriate. But um, yeah, it's just, it, it obviously is the lesser of this. And I don't think anyone's saying Zhao Tong should get a lifetime ban. Um, so clearly it's right that he, he has got a lesser punishment. But yeah, it just, it, you know, again, we're sort of not making excuses. But there's other situations here where people know that a load of people have bet on their match and they go out and feel like they have to throw it maybe. But this situation wasn't like that. I mean, if, if Zhao could just not have put those bets on and then Yang could have just played those matches. Um, so feeling like he had to, you know, we're not, we're not in those situations. We don't know how much pressure these guys are under or what they feel like or anything. So it's so hard to say, but it didn't feel like a great excuse, did it? You know, like you said, he felt he had no other option. You know, we don't know what the you don't know how the exact situations um, circumstances that are, but yeah, um, it was very disappointing, obviously, to read about Zhao. You know, I've met him a few times, and uh, he is a lovely bloke, and you know, maybe yeah. As I say, you can't you can't really imagine those specific circumstances and how much pressure they feel. Um, and, you know, he says here that he, he sort of tried to dissuade Jan and everything. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's back in. It's, it's interesting, that thing about how he will come back in actually 2025, because that feels a lot better than when his, the, his actual ban runs out. So I'm sort of more comfortable with the realistic length of his ban. But we can't really judge it, judge the actual ban on that, if you see what I mean. You know, his ban ends in September 24 which seems too short. He won't actually play again professionally until sort of Q schools over whatever, June 25. Um, we assume everything's going to be similar to it is now. Um, and that's that seems sort of more what I would like to see the ban at. But so that's, you know, that feels finer. But um, but then you can't really judge the length of the ban on how that is, 
you know, that the commission hasn't considered that in their the length of their ban. I think that's fair to say. Uh, but yeah, I think I think we both agree, don't we? Like, you know, we're not trying to end people's careers necessarily here, but I think uh, I think a bit longer felt a bit better there. Well, again, I'll be looking into my own heart and my own sort of thoughts, and <laughs> I might not sound like it so far, but I, I am, you know, a believer in rehabilitation. You know, in in life, I'm a believer in in, in second chances. I'm not going to say whatever the crime. Some crimes are so serious that I think people probably shouldn't really be, you know, allowed, allowed back into society if we're going down a different route. But most crimes, I would believe in second chances, and I, and I've advocated for that. And even you know, historically, maybe people think I'm wrong here. I've I've gone down that road in athletics, for example, when I think you know people that have cheated even with drugs you know eventually they need second chances because you know I just don't believe in banging people down forever but there's also the deterrent thing you know if if the bands aren't strong enough then enough people will be tempted to think well I might just do it if I if I if I you know the worst comes to worst I get four or five years maybe it's worth the risk I don't know maybe not because I say it's still a significant time in the snooker player's career, no matter no matter that it is long. So it, it, it's difficult, um, but I think that that's probably what most of us are doing, isn't it, Phil? We, we, we're probably battling with our more liberal side, the rehabilitation, the second chances, and I guess our concern for the sport and where we go from here, and you know, just trying to think about the future. And whether this sends a strong enough message, maybe it's time to sort of. I know we've got other players to go through, but but if I can come to that that part where the WPBSA have said that they thought um, longer bans should be in place because they say that in previous cases, like Stephen Lee, for example, although he got twelve year punishment, mm. but some of the other ones, I mean, that seems very long actually compared to some of the other things. Of course, Stephen Lee didn't admit anything, did he? Um, that's part of that. Um, but they say it wasn't a sufficient deterrent some of the, the other cases in the past. But the commissioners say we do not accept that submission. The present case involved a close-knit group of players, including predominantly young professionals who spoke the same language and shared a similar culture. The relevant events occurred largely during the COVID pandemic when they were not able to travel back home to mainland China and felt isolated in the UK, we do not see in the present case any evidence of a wider culture of wrongdoing in snooker. There will be people that agree with that and disagree with that last sentence, most certainly. Um, not the fact they don't see any evidence themselves, the Commission, but the, the idea there's not a wider culture of wrongdoing, I think the, the jury's probably out on that. But, that you know, we see very clearly there the Commission saying, no, what's happened is awful, but let's put it in its own box type thing. And, you know, let's see it for what it is and let's sort of, you know, give players the the punishments appropriate to what we see as these particular circumstances. So, but interesting, the WPBSA did push for longer bans here, Phil. Yeah, and I think they deserve some credit for that. And, you know, people just um, will criticise um, the WPBSA or sort of randomly World Snooker. Well, not randomly, people get confused by that distinction, though, but they get a lot of stick, World Snooker and WPBSA. Um but I, yeah, I think that 
that has got to be a bit of a concern about the bands here, isn't it? If if the governing body of the sport wanted longer bands because they don't think they're enough of a deterrent and didn't get them, then clearly they think there's not enough of a deterrent, which is concerning. Um, I think they did do well, though, with um, the one that is clear in my mind is like Kao Yu Peng's band. So he's back on tour now. Um, he got sort of six years, but um, half of it roughly was suspended. So he was only banned for two and a half years for fixing multiple matches. Um, and that, well, that clearly wasn't enough of a deterrent because all this stuff has happened since and he's back on tour playing. Um, so they got rid of the, they asked to not have any more of the suspended part of the sentence, which I think is quite right. Um, but yeah, they, they, yeah, they wanted, they wanted heavier bands and I, I agree with them. And, uh, I get, I do get, I'm not ignoring all the extenuating circumstances. Um, what the commission, what the sub commission, uh, said there, um, is fair, but you know, it, I don't know if it's really enough of an excuse, is it? You know, um, they felt isolated in the UK. Yeah, by yeah. Well, how does, is that? Is that a, how does that get to fixing matches? I mean, it's not. It's not quite enough for me, really. But um, yeah, I do think the WPBSA deserves some praise though for for pushing harder. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it comes back to the thing you said a few minutes ago. We don't quite know. We weren't there. They're in a completely alien country, actually, where the, the, the natives speak a different language. They're young. You know, you, you can see the sort of the path to this in a way. It's a murky path, but you, you can, in a way, see um, the germs, if you like, of, of kind of what, what occurred and, I think they, you know, they do. They do put it in pretty frank terms, and you know, it does, of course, raise what you know wider questions of, of, you know, why, you know, the game is you know, so dominated here. Maybe you know, if we need the game to be more global, we said that, haven't we? We like more tournaments abroad. Like to spread the word. It's very UK based. Um, and what have you, but you know the, the, these are issues clearly, and you know, but the, I think they have made that pretty clear that you know, th- this was not a lone issue, but a, a specific issue. A lot of it pandemic, a lot of it because the players were sort of stuck together, and yeah, people will have different views about whether that's enough of a kind of excuse. But it's you know you, you can see that, that, that they were factors. I think that's fair to say. Well, we should say Zhao Zambo, uh, next player, accepted the following. But on the 26th of August, 2022, he fixed a snooker match that he was playing in and he bet on the snooker match that he fixed. He was given a three-year, six-month suspension, reduced following early admissions and the plea of guilty to two years and four months until the 7th of April, 2025. He used to pay $7,500 in costs. Chang Bing Yu accepted that on the 28th of September 2022, he had fixed a snooker match he was playing in. He'd been given a three-year suspension reduced following early admissions and his plea of guilty to two years until the 7th of December 2024. He used to pay 7500 in costs. 
uh, Bai Lan Ning accepted that on the 26th of September 2022, he fixed a snooker match he was playing in. He's been given a four-year suspension, reduced following early admissions, and his plea guilty to two years and eight months until the 6th of August 2025. He is to pay 7500 in costs. Uh, Chen Sifan accepted that between the 24th of July and the 23rd of August 2022, he fixed or contrived, or was a party to fix or contrived the result or score of three matches he played in, and he's been given Chen Sinfan a seven-year and six-month suspension, reduced following early admissions and a plea of guilty, uh, guilty to five years until the 30th of December 2027. He used to pay 7,500 in costs, and Zhang Jiankang accepted that on the 22nd of July 2022, he fixed the match he was playing in, and then between the 1st of September 2019 and the 31st of December 2022, he bet on snooker matches in breach of the rules, and that he failed to provide information requested by the WPBSA. Zhang Jiankan has been given a four-year and five-month suspension, reduced following early admissions and his plea of guilty to two years and 11 months until the 11, 1st of December 2025. He used to pay 7500 in costs. So different bans, as we see, um, and I think we've had our say on whether we think... Some of them are strong enough, possibly instinctually, I think not. I think you, you tend to agree with that, Phil. Obviously, life bans is, is a massive, massive message. And that's what got most of the headlines, wasn't it? But obviously, very different, very different bans for different offences. And um, that's why I let you have a lot of my voice there. But we come back to that thing, don't we? The general um, view is great sadness that we're not going to see some of the, all these players really, um, because, you know, well, not sadness in the life bands case, probably. But I have been thinking, you know, there's a lot of focus on Zhao Zengtong and Yan Beng Tao. But what a player Liang Wen Boaz was back in, in yeah. his day. What a tournament. Superb player. Absolutely superb player. But a lot of these guys, it's it's such a shame. You know, we're not going to see them. You know, they'll they'll be back. Most of them, you feel. But um, it, it's robbing us. I mean, I, I love watching Yan Bing Tao, Phil. I mean, I, I love watching a lot of them, but he's just a brilliant, you know, he's what, he's 23 now, 23 going on 43, isn't he? I can't believe the maturity, <laughs> the way he plays the game, you know, the way he won that Masters title, you know, it was just brilliant. And now I'm not going to see him for a lot of years, and rightly so, you know, that's the way it has to be. But it's just such a bloody shame. Yeah, of course it is, because, you know, that we always talk about where the young talents are, where, where where the next sort of emerging stars of the game. And Jan, for a little while, has been sort of the standout player under 25, hasn't he? And, uh, you know, unbelievable. So he nearly became the youngest ever ranking title winner. And he lost to Williams in that final, didn't he? And then he won the Riga Masters at a very young age. The Masters was incredible. Um And, yeah, that's why it makes such little sense. <laughs> you know, he he didn't need to be... uh Losing matches for money, he could win win a lot more matches for more money. Um, so it, yeah, of course it's a shame, um, but it's also good that it was been found out and punished as as it should be. Um, you know that was it's that's a mixed feeling, isn't it? You know, absolutely there's sadness and it was a sad day for the sport when all this came out. But there is a positive side too. You know, um, things have been uncovered and punished um, at least somewhat appropriately. Um, you know, this this couldn't allow been allowed to continue in any way. You know, there is 
you know, the, the, what were you saying about the wider, um, wider culture of it in snooker? I don't know about what, like wider is, but it was sort of known. I know, I, I know <laughs> almost any player I've spoken to since this investigation started said something along the lines of, well, we're not surprised. You know, it wasn't like, wow, this is, this has been going on under our noses and we didn't know. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying the players in those matches knew, obviously, but just that something was going on along these lines. Um, so it is a positive thing that action has been taken, severe action has been taken against two of them and uh, bans have been handed out. So it is a shame, but there is there is a good side to it that um, hopefully things will be stamped out. But that's that's what we're talking about with the length of bans, though. Is it enough for deterrent? Because... More than anything, we all just don't want to see anything like this ever again. And the deterrent needs to be strong enough to make sure of that. And I guess we're just not quite sure that it is. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, fair way of summing it up. I do have one sort of few lines here from everything we've read in that report. And I think I've taken it because it just, it's an illustration for me of just what a mess this whole business was. It was the charge that Liam Wenbo fixed or contrived or was a party to fix or contrive the result or score of a match played on the 26th of August 2022, between Zhao Jambo and Aaron Hill in the Northern Ireland Open qualifier in Wigan by agreeing or making an effort to agree with Zhao Jambo to contrive the outcome of that match. Zhao Jambo admitted the result of the match between himself and Aaron Hill was fixed. Zhao Jambo gave evidence that he was approached by Liang at the Ding Junhui Snooker Academy about five to ten days before the match and was offered 4000 to fix the match on the basis that Zhao Jambo would not win more than two frames. The money was paid to him in cash through a friend of Liang following the match. And that's that thing, that friend. That's a, mm. you know, important to say. We've, other people have been named here, Phil. Uh, Lee's evidence was that he had accompanied Xiao Jambo to the match as Xiao Jambo's English was not very good and he was able to provide him with more support and also that Liang had approached him and Lu asking them to persuade Xiao Jambo to fix the match. Lu's evidence was that he came to suspect while watching the match live that the match had been fixed. He called Li and asked him if this was so. Li confirmed this and that Liang was involved in the arrangement. At the end of the match, Liang approached Lu with hush money, which he gave to Lu in cash. Since Lu owed money to Zhao Shambo, he paid this to Zhao Shambo. As a result of the match fixing that took place, profits of 30,000 were generated and split as follows. 9,000 paid to one of Liang's friends, not named. 5,000 for Liang, 5,000 for Li, 3,000 for Lu, 8,000 for Zhao Shambo. Originally, we were told it's 4,000, eventually ended up being 8,000. According to the commission finds that Liang fixed or contrived uh, and was a party to 
to an effort to fix or contrive the result of the match. This charge is proven. I mean, it's just it's the messiness of it, Phil, and the hush money is the one that grabbed me. Everybody is involved in this, so many people. And, it, you know, this is the thing about how do they think they're going to get away with it and there are this many people involved. It's just such a mess. And yeah, we very clearly see here that you know, Liang Wenbo approached a player about a week or so before the match and offered him money to fix a match. I mean, it's, it's as clear as that. I mean, it's just, it's so shocking. And one thing I meant to say, when you look up on Q-Track, as we so often do, of course, the results of the match, it's really sad again, isn't it? Because mm. you, you sort of think, that's a fake match. This result is fake. It's in the history books forever. You know, it's on Q-Track forever, but it's not the result it should have been if the, you know, one of the players involved had you know, behaved in a totally normal fashion and tried to win every pot, every, every every frame and pot every ball. And that hasn't happened. It's, you know, which is, I know it's simplistic, but it's just, yeah, st- stunning really to me. And, and just, doesn't that just extract their show, Phil, just what a mess this whole thing was? Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, like you say, the sort of unnamed other people that are involved in this is, yeah, another sort of unpleasant part of it. And, and Jason Ferguson has been asked about that, and he says they they are aware of who these people are, and they're, they're sort of still pursuing some other charges. They might even be criminal charges. Um, it's down to like the Gambling Commission and um, authorities in China has also been mentioned. So more could happen on that. Um, but yeah, it's just I mean, obviously it's a murky world. But it, when you hear little bits about it, is how murky it is 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 very grim. Um, oh. And yeah, it's a mess. Is right and. There were slightly messy parts of that report, like you said. Though that was a bit confusing. That that the first statement was he got offered four grand, but ended up getting eight grand. And you know this probably isn't that important, but there were just a lot of sort of typos and people's names spelled incorrectly in the report. And you know we know what they meant, but you know that took a good old month or whatever to write up. You know it's not ideal that such an important document had a lot of mistakes in it. But you know maybe that's a minor thing, but. um yeah, you're right about those those matches as well. I've looked up a few. Um, I'll tell you what, Yan Ming Tao is quite convincing at fixing matches, for sure. Um, I think having looked back at a couple of those that he did lose, you know, 4-3 to Jordan Brown in the British Open, and Yan made two centuries in that. So, um, And then there was one against Oli Lines in the Turkish Masters, and just the the last bit of that is on YouTube for some reason. Um, Yan's already 30-odd points behind with just the colours left. There's a really long safety battle on the yellow. Um, and Jan sort of puts Ollie in a couple of snookers. There's one where Ollie sort of taps the table for how good a snooker it was. Um, and this is this is at 4-4 with Jan needing snookers. So the, the fact that that match was fixed and Jan was losing on purpose despite sort of tying him up in quite impressive snookers on the yellow, you know, um, He's good at fixing matches. He, he wouldn't have got he wouldn't have got caught if it was just from people watching that game. It seems, um, but yeah, um, I, I feel awful for the the opponents in those matches because I remember speaking to Ali after that tournament because that was the first time he got to a quarter final uh, in Turkey and beating Jan five four in the last sixteen was an absolutely brilliant win for him there. And you know, I've not spoken to him since, but it must be such a horrible feeling to think that your opponent wasn't was trying to lose that game. Um, and that goes for everyone involved in these. Um, so, yeah, I feel I really feel for those guys. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. You mentioned that to me when we had a chat off air and hadn't hadn't quite clocked, clocked, clocked. I mean, obviously, I knew that players playing in the matches were badly affected. And I felt sorry for them, but I didn't quite get that specific Ollie Lyons example. I've forgotten that tournament, of course. That's really important, I think, and, you know, a good, good point that you, you made there. And as you say, you know, criminal investigations may follow Martin Ziegler. I think one of our very best sports journalists, not to say that I work for the Times now, he, he really is, you know, when it comes to being across n- nefarious matters in sport, there are a few better. He's saying that criminal investigations may now follow yeah, after this, as you say, the sports governing body says it has passed the findings of its investigations to authorities in the UK and China. And actually, I listened to a podcast a couple of nights ago. I think it's called the Sport Unlocked podcast. Uh, Martin Ziegler and various, you know, very, very good journalists for that. Yeah, Rob Harris is on there as well. And, and Martin was saying that, that he considers this case to be the worst in British sport in match-fixing terms in the last 10 years. And that's significant for him to say that. And so it's just what, you know, what kind of level of, of, um, of sadness and shame we, we are talking about here. Maybe this is the right time to say, though, of course, this is widespread uh, across sport. It's not just this sport where this happens. You know, we talk, we've seen it in tennis, actually, um, We've seen all manner of, you know, outrageous cheating in cycling. You know, we've seen all manner of outrageous cheating in athletics. So maybe we we should have a chance to give credit to WPBSA actually for getting this done, and pretty quickly as well. It's only last autumn that we first heard about this, and it, you know, I don't think if someone had said then. You know, I've been making predictions that here by the by the start of the summer we'd had this done and dusted. It's been pretty good, actually, pretty effective. A lot of things in this sport and many sports are not. They drag on forever and a day. So this is, you know, pretty effective to get the, you know, the, the charges, the hearing, the verdicts all done. And listen, it would be naive to the nth degree to think that this is it, it doesn't go on elsewhere. It must be going on elsewhere. But you know, if we cut a significant, I want to use that. I don't know whether that cancer really, but it's coming to my mind. I can't, I can't bear that word really. But it, 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 if it's cut off an element of that, then it's more than a good start. And I, I think. You know, I'd like to say that you know it was. It's been a pretty effective process, isn't it? Would you sing from the same hymn sheet there? It, it seems so. It seems that they've done um, as much as they could, um, as quickly as they could, to get it done. And they did it all pretty publicly. You know, they've had praise for that. Certainly, wasn't a good look. You know, while those suspensions seem to be, you know, there was a time where it seemed like every couple of weeks it's like, oh, another one and another one suspended, and you know that, but. They felt that they had to publicise that and get them suspended whenever enough evidence came to light. But it, I mean, it looked pretty awful for the sport. Um, but they've done it um, as openly as they can. Um, and yeah, it's as far as you know, it has felt. It's felt like it's been going on for ages. But yeah, as you say, in terms of how complicated it was and proving this stuff and finding all the evidence and getting it done through legal ways, you know, it, it, things take a long time. So I think they've they. Yeah, they deserve praise for what they've done. Um, 
and yeah, we just got to hope that they don't need to do it again, but they will have to do more to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, you know, there's going to be education processes that have to be ramped up and sort of monitoring processes. And, uh, you know, I think if there's pl- anywhere where a lot of snooker players are sort of practicing regularly or spending time together, then these places need to sort of be monitored to an extent or have uh, officials attend them sometimes or anything, you know, because, you know, there's, there's specific examples in that report, you know, Liang just turns up at Ding's Academy and offers a, a bung. Um, you know, that can't be allowed to happen, can it? Um, so then th- things need to be brought in. It's impossible. You could bring in every every possible measure that you could think of and it won't guarantee that it doesn't happen again. But obviously there needs to be more more processes to help make sure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah, human beings will always be tempted, won't they? And the, the dark parts of, 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 of our character and our, you know, will often come to the surface, unfortunately, and uh, be exposed. So I think it's fair to say that this has not ended match fixing in snooker by any stretch of the imagination, but you know it, it is a step in the right direction. It almost doesn't sound strong enough, but that's certainly what it is, and more. I think by what by what we've seen these events, these these dramatic verdicts. I think it's fair to say, including two life bans and bans for all ten players involved. Well, that's what we're talking about here. This special match verdicts, match fixing verdicts episode of uh, Talking Snooker with uh, Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. And thank you for tuning in for what has to be one of our saddest episodes in many ways, Phil, because it's, and, you know, it's what we come back to at the start. And maybe we'll move on to some correspondence for now, shall we? And, and, and James Ellison here on email, who just starts with that word, sadness, quotes, unquotes. James says, that's the word I keep coming back to when I think about the match-fixing decisions and punishments I've swayed from good riddance uh, to sympathising and everything in between. But I can't help thinking that overall, it's just a really sad episode associated with what has been in recent times, clearly a booming region of the world for this great game of snooker. I find find my heart wanting to say good riddance, but my head says there's always a flip side to the coin of every story. As an investigator by day job, I won't say what field, to try and keep some anonymity. Here, I try to put myself in at least some of the younger parties' shoes, amused as to how all this came to pass. For my own, albeit highly amateur, snooker-obsessed life, since getting a 6x3 table in the 80s, to going on to play county pool and with some form of regularity, being able to combine 50-plus snooker breaks. Alas, I never mentioned a cent manage a century. I can't help thinking that when I look back at all the hours of practice and playing that have led to quite frankly, quotes unquote, childlike drops when I've been losing. It's a difficult one in some ways to understand just how things went so badly wrong. And that's the thing, I guess, the casual observer like me won't ever really know what's happened, not properly. I want to say that you need to account for some of their young ages, you need to account for the fact they travelled far afield from friends and family to chase their dreams. The blue sky worldview in me almost perversely wants to rejoice that the snooker gods may shine a light once more on Xing Tong's talent. 
The slight issue I have with my own Blue Sky notion is that I come back to my own amateur Q Sports experience and knowing that uh, since the age of eight or nine, the very idea of losing a frame on purpose would break my soul. So again, it's confusing at a glance to understand how gifted Qists travel the path they took. The release statement and in particular findings details leave us to believe the explanation can likely be found in the words induced, enticed, persuaded, encouraged and facilitated. Of course, as with most man-made problems, sadly, the answer, I feel, is money. Regards, James. I'm afraid that's at the root of a lot of evil, isn't it, um, in this world? And, uh, yeah, it's important, probably important to make that point. Thank you, James, that it, it's money. You know, that, that is unfortunately what a lot of this is about. And as you pointed out, the nuance, some players will, will feel they needed the money. They had, they had none. They were in debt. You know, in, 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 in certainly in one case, other cases, no, they're getting very rich young young men, frankly, which makes it maybe harder to understand, as I, as I mentioned earlier. But yeah, I think James expresses the nuance of this and how probably everyone listening, I think, has had to have conflicting thoughts, haven't they? I certainly received a number of messages from people that I really respect and and admire in many cases and really value their, their views in the snooker community and a whole range of you know, very good views. Um, and we're all facing that conflict in our head, I think, which I expressed earlier, Phil, that rehabilitation, second chances and deterrent. And uh, yeah, James says it well there. Yeah, that's the, you've got to find that balance, haven't you? And uh, yeah, especially in Zing Tong's case, I don't think anyone wants him banned forever. Um, you just want it banned appropriately um, and you don't want it to happen again. But yeah, no, it's... Uh, of course, it's money, yeah, and it, it, maybe it's not even. As I said about Yan before, maybe it's not even his own money, but it's people, other people's money that you feel like you have to do things for. Um, again, we don't, we're not in their shoes. We don't. James says that well as well. We don't properly know. We can read all these words as much as we want, but unless you're in these situations, you don't really know how they feel or what you feel like you have to do. So it is very hard. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's. It's obviously very different, but I know what you're saying about you know if I go and play down the snooker club with my mate and we struggle to make breaks in the above ten, I still wouldn't really think about losing on purpose. But then you know it's very different when these very complicated situations, with a lot of money on the line, obviously. Um, but yeah, next one is Owen Harris on email. Hi guys, obviously all the hardcore snooker uh, fans are talking about the match fixing bans, but I feel like the general public are not. It didn't trend anywhere or make the front pages and wasn't even the headline story on BBC Sport. I feel like this would have been a bigger story if they were they were British players. Stephen Lee and John Higgins seemed like far bigger stories and the general public still remember today. Has snooker dodged a bit of a bullet in terms of its reputation amongst not normal non-snooker-obsessed people? Thanks, Owen. Um, I have to say, yeah, I, I do agree with Owen on that um, to some extent. It was obviously a big story. Um, it was on some back pages... Um, obviously some people who don't always cover snooker covered it. Um, but I, I don't think it cut through anything like what it could have done considering the scale of it and how serious it is. And I agree that if it was a couple of British players doing it, reasonably well known British players, it would have been a far bigger story than 10 Chinese players here. And I can't, I'm not in a position to judge how big it is in China, really. I'm, no expert on the Chinese media. Maybe it's um, a much bigger story there. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, I dodged a bullet feels a weird thing to say because it's still awful. But 
I don't think it has got the sort of wider um, coverage or sort of cut through that it could have done. And I, this is a sort of small way of testing it, but I've got different groups of mates who are various levels of sports fans. Some are snook fans, some aren't. Some are sort of casuals. They'll watch it in the World Championship, whatever. Um, but whenever any of them do, they obviously text me about snooker because they know what what I do for work. Uh, I've not had a message from anyone about this. No one, I've not heard from anyone outside of just the hardcore snooker community um, so asking about it or commenting or anything. Um, so, yeah, it, it has gone not under the radar completely. It was still a big story, but more under the radar than it could have done, I think. Well, I, I actually think I only half agree with that, to be honest. Um, yes, I think you make a very good point that had there been Bushish players, it would have had more attention on it, definitely, especially, you know, top, top players as Yan Bintao and Charles Intong are, you know, former Masters winners, former UK champion. Um, but j- just to say that it definitely was a headline story on the BBC Sport website. In fact, it was the number two story. I remember saying it very clearly. The number one story, of course, was a staggering story that broke about an hour or two before. And I was just in work. I actually been, hadn't been in work for, for, for a week. I'd, I'd been to, to Wales on holiday, so I was gearing up to go back. You know, I think you're always a bit nervous. Certainly I am when you've even been away for any number of days, really. So, you know, a little bit nervous, you know, what's going to go on at work today? And it just was enormous. If someone had told me the match-fixing verdicts had come in in this sport that I you know cover so much and care about so much, and it would be second in my head that day. I wouldn't have believed them. This was so big, but I think we'd already had some inkling of what was going to happen in this. For one thing, Martin Ziegler reported, hadn't he, a couple of weeks before that players were going to get banned. I think we knew, whereas the golf thing came out absolutely nowhere. stunned everyone in the sporting world, this merger between uh, the PGA Tour and uh, the Saudi-backed Live, Live Golf uh, circuit, um, so that was, you know, in a sense, it was fortunate, if you want the news to be buried, that it came, you know, at the, at the same time as the golf came an hour or two later. But I wandered over to the main, you know, the the, the, the um the, my higher-ups on the desk at the Times and said, you know, that there was news that we were soon going to hear about these these, these snooker match-fixing verdicts. They're like, oh. Uh, no, there's not enough going on today. I don't think they were too. It was just, of course, it was one of those classic ones. But it did make it on the back page of the Times, as you as you said, it made it on back pages. It was on the BBC. So in that regard, I think it was still quite high profile news. Your story got on the main spread of Metro, didn't it? Underneath the golf story, so you know it it was still big. But I also, when I say a half agree, I think your point about where they've been Bush's players is true, and actually. We've had four bits of correspondence. We've actually had a fifth in, actually, but it's not quite relevant for reading out, Phil. It's more uh, someone's done a, a very good profile of, of prize money over the years. I'm going, to, we're going to try, I'm going to try and find it somewhere getting it online, actually. So you say five, four reading out here. It's not enormous, I have to say. You know, we're in a snooker podcast here. I, I thought we could at least double or triple that. Listen, people are still quite rightly taking the news in and you know you don't want to rush to judgment and you know I, I respect that I'm sure that's an element of it as well there's a lot to take in here but so yeah I, I half agree I still think it was a big story 
you don't often see soup on the back pages, and it was across most of them, if not all of them, you know, here in the UK. But yeah, I mean, the golf thing was 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 amazing. So, I think the part of it is there was, it was just it was just that day. You know, the golf story has run and run and run. Still, like every day, that's still high up on Sky Sports News and stuff. People talking about that. I think the Snook story is just that, and then it's over. You know, I've done a couple of follow-up pieces, but I'm a, specifically a snooker journalist, and that, that's fine. But I don't, I've not seen much else from it since that. And even the, there's been very little sort of player reaction. I've thought has been a little bit strange, really. I don't know. I mean, and the only thing I've seen players talking about over the last week or so is sort of how they would change Q school, and um, maybe that shows what players think about more than uh, more than this. But um, yeah, it was certainly a big story on the day, but it it seemed to have tailed off pretty quickly outside of just very hardcore snooker fans. Yeah, no, fair point. It, it, yeah, it was certainly in all the Wednesday papers, reacting to the news. I think it was in some of the Thursday papers, certainly in the Times, there was that good follow-up for Martin Ziegler about possible uh, you know, criminal investigations now taking place. But then beyond that, a bit of chat here and there in the mainstream media, maybe not that much so yeah no it's i think we're, we're broadly speaking you know singing from you know the, the same hymn sheet well thank you for your point owen and we move on to aiden dollar harry now on twitter it is a sad day but hopefully now as a sport it can move on from this and while there are some inconsistencies and in the punishments dished out in my view hopefully will act as a strong enough deterrent for all players in the future i'm happy to see this has been dealt with Overall, I'm positive about the future, but wanted to get your thoughts on whether or not this has had an impact on the game in China. And after this, is it right that snooker will turn there at all? I'm not sure. Would like to hear your thoughts. Uh, with now, hopefully we can concentrate on the new season. It will hopefully be a blank slate for all remaining players, officials, etc. And we can all concentrate on the good things that we all love about the game. And once the dust settles and the players return to the table... Which they will do soon, of course, in, uh, in in now a couple of weeks' time for the for the new season, and of course we all want to focus on the things we love about the game. Absolutely, and no, I don't think that snooker shouldn't return to China. That would be uh, a far too dr- dr- dramatic action to take, and China's very important. We know it's done damage, but boy, do we need that market still we, we, and badly. You know, it's such an important sort of centre for this this sport now. So that, that would be too drastic for me. Um, I don't think it's too drastic to say that elements of Chinese snooker need to get their house in order. That that would certainly be the case. And actually across Chinese sport, you know, you read about, you know, elements of corruption in Chinese football that I've certainly been reading about in recent days and in, in, in all manner of, in fact, Chinese public life. Um that's a wider element. That's a wider point in their politics and what have you. So, listen, th- th- these issues run deep in China. Those issues run deep here in the UK as well, by the way. It's important to say, you know, we're, we're certainly not whiter than white when it comes to, you know, our, our own public life. But anyway, uh, no, too strong not to go to China, but ele- elements of Chinese snooker need to get their house in order is how I'd say it, Bill. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Um, we can't um, cut out China from snooker. Not sure how that would even work, really. Um, and yeah, players are very excited to go back there. Uh, excited for the earning opportunities, certainly. Um, 
so yeah, no, I don't, I don't think we can do that. Um, but yeah, there needs to be, you know, I said there's no follow up sort of news wise from it, but th- there needs to be quite a lot of follow up from this, um, in terms of policies and systems and how things can, uh, not go this way in the future. And that, um, that will certainly sort of be most relevant to Chinese players because they're the ones that are all wrapped up in this. So, uh, yeah, no, um, it, it's good that we're going back to China. And like you said, when we were talking about, um, point before about it needs to be more of a global sport i don't think sort of retreating back even more towards a uk-centric thing um would be good at all so no um but yeah certainly a lot needs to be done um to make sure this doesn't happen again with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, so Dan Winfrow, Winfrow on email, one of those two. Sorry, Dan. Uh, hi, team. Uh, following on from the announcement of the bans for Chinese players, I'm interested in your views on Snooker's relationship with gambling. From reading the WST report on their site, it's clear that a lot of the players involved were gambling at casinos as well as on their matches. In much the same way, football's relationship with gambling was scrutinised after Ivan Tony's ban. Does the same review need to take place with snooker? I should start by saying that I enjoy a bet and I'm not looking for a ban on gambling, but I stress there is too much gambling advertising within snooker and sport as a whole in the UK. How many snooker events are now sponsored by a bookmaker? Apart from the world's, I can't think of a non-betting company sponsor e.g. who are dual bits. Online, nobody's, no registration in the UK, and yet they have sponsorship of tournament after tournament, all whilst promotion of crypto-based gambling. Is this where snooker authorities really want to grow the game? How much longer can snooker take money from gambling and seemingly no other sponsors aside from Kazoo? I know snooker's long history of players playing money matches. The hustlers of the past are often spoken with great affection, but now we have players with nothing other than than to gamble in their spare time away from events that are effectively solely sponsored by gambling companies. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, well, it's yeah, this is an issue, not just for snooker, all sorts of sports, as Dan said. Um, gambling is, I mean, it's infiltrated the word, it's always been involved, isn't it? But yeah, um, it's everywhere, isn't it? If football has got a real bad problem with it, they, the Premier League decides to get rid of shirt sponsorships, but... You won't be short of seeing gambling sponsorships in football even after that. Um, Snooker has tried to move away from it. You know, uh, Kazoo has been a significant diversification because before that, it seemed almost entirely um, betting sponsorships. Um, so they are trying. Um, it's not easy. Bookies have an awful lot of money, which shows you why you probably shouldn't gamble so much because they will take your money off you. Um, but they're the ones that are um, in a very difficult market for advertise for getting advertising and sponsorship and stuff um, after COVID, especially. Um, bookmakers are one of the few industries that still are have got cash to to get involved in stuff. Um, and snooker's a sport that needs cash. You know, we're not we can't be too picky, um, but they are trying to be more picky on this front because it's an issue. Yeah. Um, it's so easy to put bets on and um, these guys have a lot of loan time at tournaments, sitting around in hotels. Um, it's, very, it's very easy to 
have pro- get gambling problems. Um, and there's definitely an element of that in this. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky. We've spoken about this before, haven't we? We've spoken about sponsorship. And, you know, the sport does want to move away from it, if possible. But that's the thing, if possible. Um, and they're doing their best to, I think. Um, but you've got to find these other sponsors. I, d- I don't think they would have gone out and been like, oh, great, we've got dual bits. But they needed a sponsor and they got one. Um, so, we, yeah, we've got to hope that more more crop up from somewhere. And that's up to the guys at World Snooker and Matroom to, to dig out these sponsors. If you ever speak to Barry Hearn, he says it's not a problem. And if if they need another sponsor, he'll just go and get one. And, you know, whenever you listen to Barry, it's very easy to believe him. But, you know, we'd like to see it, I suppose. There's no great evidence for what Barry's saying there, though, is there? I mean, we, we haven't seen it. Um, and Barry's a great salesman. And listen, he, he you know, the, the guys the guys turn water into wine more times than anybody's care to remember in this sport and across his, yeah, all his sports. But despite that fighting talk, we're all dominated by, by gambling companies, aren't we, in terms of sponsorship? But let's just say that, you know, the one big company that Snooker's turned to, Kazoo, has itself created problems because it's a company that has troubles, financial troubles, pulled out of some tournaments. So, I mean, a lot of this comes down to the economy, doesn't it? You know, and how bad a state it's in. And, you know, we can't afford to turn our nose up at certain companies. And this is what people across sport would say. All of us face huge moral dilemmas all the time in this business. I said it time and time again. It's a bit off topic, but it goes back to a few years ago, my mind, when I was at Metro and we got a big bookmaking dealing, very, very big money, actually, to cover racing in a far bigger uh, sense than we'd ever done. A big page every Friday, coverage throughout the week. And, of course, there are, can I go far saying immoral there are immoral elements to the gambling industry, I think it's fair to say. Uh, however, you know, we have to know where our bread is buttered to some extent, whichever, whatever we're doing in our business, the media or sport. And at the moment, you know, gambling's in, in vogue and maybe we'll be for some time. I mean, you don't see very many poor bookmakers, do you, Phil? That, that, that business does do well. Um, and maybe one of the few businesses that's done pretty well, even throughout the, the troubles of the pandemic and all the other economic problems, the war in Ukraine and what have you, bookmakers still doing pretty well. So there we are. The problem, of course, will come when the government do even more to curtail that advertising, like they, they did with tobacco, which is why we need other you know, other avenues, really. Um, there are little steps, aren't there? It was pointed out to us, wasn't it, by one of our correspondents, there was no gambling on site at the Crucible, something I hadn't really clocked, despite the fact I'd been to that foyer a few times myself. Little things like that, it might seem like a small step, but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. It's a difficult one because we know the morality issues. We really do. I mean, every time you see a gambling ad now, you, you tend to see, please gamble carefully, that, it's almost like they're trying to tell people not to do it now because they know the dangers, and yet they're still trying to get money for doing it. It's, it's a really difficult one. And, I mean, Dan makes the point that it, it's so ingrained, and isn't that only good for the least temptation it is? I don't tend to have any easy answers here because 
I know how important the money that comes from gambling is is for snooker. But there are moral issues as well, and I don't pretend to be entirely comfortable. Bit of a niche one, but I noticed, I don't know if you saw, Bill, that Clive Tilsley has mm. pulled out of working for uh, the national sports radio station here in the UK, Talk Sport, because he's not comfortable anymore with the constant uh, gambling advertising and having to give out odds on that station now. Again, that word nuance. Clive's a very, very rich man, and he's done very, very well. He can make those moral calls maybe more easily than someone that's younger and starting out in the industry and hasn't got his money. Do you know what I mean? That, maybe that's mm. a bit off topic, but we all have to look in the mirror, don't we, Phil, on a daily basis, whatever we're doing in this industry, frankly. And this is another example of uh, of that. And uh, it's a problem, though. We're going to need to find other sponsors somewhere down the road, aren't we? And as you say, that's the kind of work that that World Snooker Matchroom need to do. And uh, I think we'd all be happy if we just saw a balance slightly further away wouldn't we? But then we got because they're in and they're a problem. So as I say, this is a, a a very very complex issue. Yeah, of course, and yeah, the the guys who come up with these deals have a responsibility to the players. You know, um, hopefully they can find good and uh, more diverse sponsors. But if they can't, and they said, "Oh, the prize money's gone down," but we're not being backed by bookmakers, you know players would revolt about that, I think. Um, so there are many issues to to deal with. And yeah, like you say, it's not easy. Um, you know, advertising, sponsorship across all industries, not just snooker, not just sport, um, has, has been very hard to come by. So yeah, they've got, they're going to they're be working hard to find some of the ones and hope they hope they do. But um yeah, that, that I think that was um, it was interesting. Those details Dan mentioned about how they go to casinos a lot, the, the players that were involved in this whole um, scandal. Um, you know, that's legal. That's uh, you can't stop them doing that. But um, it was certainly like a big gambling culture. Uh, so, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? What 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 the the murky lines between what is legal gambling and then. You, tempted into all sorts of other stuff that was clearly the case here. But, yeah, complex issues, sure. I haven't got the answer right now, I'm afraid. Well, probably a good half the fans that I know that go to the sh- to the Crucible, certainly on a regular basis, will end up in the casino a lot of the nights. They're not always having <laughs> a gamble, but they're there having a drink. So, yeah, as you say, these are, these are legal uh, building, legal premises, and, and people are able to make the best... I suppose it comes down to human nature again, time and time again. And I, I speak as unfortunately someone that, that would be on the ad- addictive side of life. So I understand all about addictions and how difficult they can, you know, they can be to get out of, how easy they are to fall into. Uh, other people are more able to be moderate in their behaviour. So it's all part of the complexity of sort of, I guess, the, you know, the human behaviour and the human condition. Um, Phil, just one point that, that um, maybe we should bring up. Other players have been approached to fix matches, haven't they? They came forward and gave evidence. And some uh, snooker fans and some people on forums are definitely asking why they weren't charged with failing to report an approach. And I know you, you spoke to Jason Ferguson about this, and he sort of said that they, they came forward as part of the investigation. But I, I guess maybe... They and we all have bigger fish to fry, but it's it's a it is a question to ask, isn't it? Yeah, it was a, it was obviously jumped out off the page when other people's names came came up in that report. Um, 
and it, you know, it was obvious to ask why um, these guys were giving evidence here um, and not being charged with anything because it certainly didn't seem that they'd come uh, come forward immediately when these approaches had been made. Uh, and yeah, I asked Jason Ferguson about it and it was a little bit vague. Um, I specifically said, did they come forward voluntarily? And he said they came forward as part of the investigation. That's as far as I got, really. Um, so not entirely clear. I think, yeah, there were bigger fish to fry. Um, matches weren't fixed. They, these guys refused to, to fix matches. This is Kao Yupeng, uh, Yuan Sejun and Juicy. Um, but failing to approach an approach, you know, we know that's, that's, um, a breach of the rules and punishable by bans. So, um, their evidence has been used for good, I suppose, in this that guilty parties have been, have been punished. But yeah, why, why, why they haven't wasn't wasn't made entirely clear. That was, you know, if if that had been explained in the report and just said, you know, if someone had explained that overtly, um, maybe that would have been uh, sort of easier to understand. But there was obvious questions arose from that very long report, um, and that was one of them, wasn't it? And we still haven't really got an answer for it. So, um, yeah, slightly, slightly unsatisfactory that bit of it, I would say. And as you rightly mentioned earlier, of course, Kao Yupeng, you know, was one of the players that they perhaps, the WPBSA had in mind when they thought that previous punishments weren't the deterrence. He thought he might be one of the first ones that should have probably come forward, really. Um, bearing in mind, you know, he was involved in, in previous cases. But anyway, yeah, thank you for that, uh, Phil. And, well, I don't know if you've got a lot more in your notes um, to say. I feel like we've covered most of the sort of big Big topics here. Uh, COVID so clearly a factor, and, and people are asking. Some people are asking about the academies. I think they're, they're the academies, are, in my view, are generally a force for for some good, not altogether good, as we've seen here, maybe. But you know, they're places that have done a lot of good in the game, and it, it would be a shame, in my in my view, if. if they was tainted to such a degree that people started sort of questioning questioning them greatly. Uh, but anyway, I don't know if you've got a lot more in your notes. I think we, as I say, we covered most issues. It's it's a it's a sad time. We come back to that, isn't it, for this sport? Um, snooker will, of course, you know, go on just like the other sports that have, that have had this these issues go on. Athletics will have a you know a successful world championship this season, just coming up this this summer, despite. Decades of, of, of dreadful behaviour and people involved in that sport. Decades of cheating, let's be clear. The Tour de France will be one of the great spectacles in sport this summer, despite outrageous wide-scale cheating, including from some of the biggest names in the history of that sport. Lance Armstrong comes to mind, others as well. So, you know, this is not me trying to defend snooker. It might sound like it. It's just trying to keep it in balance that there are lots of sports that have had dreadful things happen, and worse than this, actually. But... Of course, let's also say, no excuses. We all have to front up with those that love this sport and say it's been a, a murky, unfortunate episode. And uh, at least we have now these verdicts. And let's just hope and hope that it is a start to, to have, having sort of a cleaner sport in the future. Yeah. And yeah, lessons need to be learned and processes need to be improved about 
how to catch these things. You know, it, it is concerning that. Wait, well, it's, it's encouraging that people are that they did bother to charge people things that happened years and years ago. Um, how that how, how the specifics how they've come up now we don't know, do we? But yeah, it's also a concern that these things happened a decade ago, <laughs> and we're only people are only just getting charged for them now. So whatever processes are in place to to find these fixed matches when they happen, or ideally before they happen, um, need to be improved. Um, and yeah, that's and lessons need to be learned on education on uh, how people are sort of policed, I guess, to an extent. Um, and yeah, the academy is an interesting one. You know, this is clearly like um, where all these guys have spent a lot of time together. Um, if the WPBSC can get more of a presence in these places where there's a lot of snooker players together, that might be helpful. Don't know how that would work, but something like that maybe. Um, and we'll see. You know, it's not out of the headlines yet because Mark King is going to um, that 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 investigation is ongoing. We don't know when that's going to come to a head, but uh, that'll be interesting to see what's happened there. Um, and then hopefully, you know, hopefully we can move on. I don't want to brush anything under the carpet. This is and it'll be interesting to speak to people in the next weeks and months to see what is being done um, by the the governing body, and we'll we'll ask people about that for sure. Don't worry about that. Um, but, yeah, hopefully we can get back to the playing and there'll be positive stories uh, when the season starts. Indeed. And um, very well summed up from from you, typically there, Phil. And we should say that maybe we'll have a very, very brief look here at any other business. I know we want to really make this episode about the match-fixing verdicts. We, we should say that uh, four more players made it through Q School from Event 2 uh, Alfie Burden, Stuart Carrington, Louis Heathcote and Dean Young. We'll talk more about those in detail next time when we are pleased to say that Louis Heathcote will join us on this podcast, Phil, next week. We can't wait to have Louis with us and we very much look forward to having his thoughts about Q School. Bit of a debate, as you say, brewing there. And actually, what you said about players more interested in that, it's probably half right, you know, because, you know, even at some of the tournaments towards the end of last season, the match-fixing affair wasn't the topic on everyone's lips all the time by any means. And as you've also said, I don't know a player that's voiced surprise about it, which is, in a way, sobering. So, yeah, Q School is um, definitely uh, entertaining a, a lot of minds at the moment. So we look forward to that episode next time. Maybe a final word from you and then, and then we'll depart. But we're looking forward to having having Louis, emotional reaction to getting through Q school as many players have had. And there's definitely a feeling that it's brutal. I mean, listen, it's nuanced again, that word, you know, it's a good clean way of doing it, but boy, does it put these guys through the ringer. It really does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looking forward to have Louis on uh, great guy, great player. Uh, I was pleased to see him get, uh, get straight back on tour. Um, he, he's really good. And yeah, his, his emotional reaction was uh, amazing to watch. So that'd be good to, have him on. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of debate about Q School. I haven't really seen anyone agree much on what is a better option. That's the problem with these things, isn't it? A lot of people have a problem with Q School, but there didn't mean seem to be much consensus on what uh, should replace it. Um, don't know if Louis has some thoughts about that, but we will ask him. Um, and they, the last few tour cards have been um, snaffled up now at the minute. I know the, the first, the first of the last two from Asian Q School. Um, I've just seen has been won by 
Ishpreet Singh Chadha, who I don't know much about from India, 27-year-old from Mumbai. Um, he's on tour, and there's just one more to one more tour card to be picked up there. So we'll talk all about that um, in the next episode, though. Um, yeah, we actually hope to get Louis on straight after Q School, but obviously this has taken precedent quite rightly. So looking forward to talking to him next time. And it should be said, Phil, we'll also end that episode. Look forward to the first event of the new season, which is now yeah. on, which is the Championship League, believe it or not. So as you say, next time, all being well, I'm sure there will still be some ripples uh, and no doubt some more lines probably to emerge from the match fixing uh, scandal and the verdicts, but we will focus more on events on the table. Well, thank you for your company, Phil. It's turned into a long one. We knew it would be so much to discuss and to reflect on, and we'll continue to do that, won't we, in the days and the weeks and indeed the months to come. This is an episode that will that will stay long in the memory, unfortunately. You know, I know we said that maybe for the wider sporting world and those beyond it might not have cut through but it, it sure has for us it's been dominant hasn't it I'm, i know in my thoughts in the, in the in in recent days and a sad episode um and it just feels that, that, that that's the overriding emotion it's such a such a shame uh what's happened and and these guys have rightly been punished and uh, we now try and try and move on slowly but surely and focus matters more on the table next time i look forward to your company then yeah, I saw. I think someone tweeted that the season starts in two weeks, you know, a few days ago, and I couldn't really believe it. Um, but it does, so that'll be good. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Good man. Thank you very much indeed. Keep your thoughts coming on the match-fixing verdicts or indeed on other snooker matters. In a couple of weeks' time, we've got one of Fleet Street's genuine big hitters, Jeremy Wilson, joining us for a special Your Views episode. Next time, we'll be joined by Louis Heathcote. But, of course, the closing line is that... Uh, Ten players have been banned, two of them for life, following the verdicts handed out at the end of Snooker's biggest match-fixing scandal. Sad time for the game. We thank you for joining us for this episode of Talking Snooker. From Phil and myself, goodbye to you. Sports Social Podcast Network.